0: Of Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, WTIC-FM, and WTIC.com. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning, coming to you from the Connecticut Fire Academy in Windsor Locks. We are pleased to be joined by Alan Zygmunt. He is the Public Education Coordinator for the Fire Academy, part of the Department of Emergency Services and Public Protection. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Pleasure to be here, sir. We are talking summer fire safety. Fourth of July, just around the corner, just a few days away. And for a lot of people, they celebrate with fireworks. And we'll start there. What do we need
1: to know about fireworks safety? The state of Connecticut has very rigid regulations on what sort of fireworks are legal here in our state. And those are basically sparklers and fountains. Those are deemed to be a little more safe but in reality one of the issues with with any of those devices is when they when the sparklers are burning they're burning at over 1200 degrees so those sparks coming off can still cause a pretty severe injury especially to children so our advice is always have adult supervision with any fireworks that that are used and the best and the safest advice that we could give is if you're if you're interested in seeing fireworks go to a show a professionally put on show
0: I would assume that if firefighters had their say no sort of fireworks would be legal in Connecticut
1: well um, there was a push this uh, past legislative session to um, lighten the, uh, the regulations a little bit and most of every state fire organization uh, was opposed to that change, and we were fortunate to see that it was not changed. So that is one thing. Um, still though, we know that it's, it's just simple to, to go out of state and purchase fireworks that would be illegal to sell here in Connecticut. And you could still get them and people do d- set those off. And if you do look at those, they always say light fuse and get away because the danger of any firework is, is substantial. And people have to be very, very careful with them.
0: The best advice is if you want to see a commercial grade show, go to one put on by a a local town or or other agency, correct? Absolutely. Also, this time of year, we see a lot of those tents popping up along the roadside, maybe at convenience store parking lots, things like that, where they're selling fireworks. Is
1: there any sort of regulation
0: related to that?
1: Yeah, the state state law has was passed and that's where what types of fireworks that they can sell. And they're basically, in, in the fireworks industry, they're referred to as either sparklers, which we're mo- mostly, of are all familiar with, or um, what they call fountains, which is something that stands on the ground and shoots sparks out. But again, the, the hazard that, that I covered earlier with, with those sparks is that they burn at a very, very high temperature.
0: So essentially anything that flies through the air is not legal in Connecticut? Correct, yes. If it, if it shoots something out, it's not legal. Talk about not only the injuries that can result from mishandling of fireworks, but also it can start a fire if it flies onto a building or something. It can catch that on
1: fire, right? Absolutely. It's it's um, and especially at this time of year, um, we've had somewhat of a less amount of rain than we should. So the the ground naturally in the springtime is has a tendency of getting very very dry, and around July, if we if we have continue with less rain, we can see that hazard really uh, happening and it, even using a, a sparkler or something like that where those, those sparks are coming off, it can easily start a fire on, on the exterior of your home and uh, we, we could see uh, a lot of damage because of that.
0: Certainly fireworks are not the only fire threat in the summertime. A lot of people like to grill outside, have campfires, things like that. What
1: other things do people need to know? Well, um, the the big thing about uh, grills, um, and grilling is a is great time of year to do it. This is the, the time of year that everyone does. So you, you just have to be careful when you, you do use your grill. Most everyone today uses either a propane grill or charcoal grill, and they have slightly different rules, but the, the key is... Both of those types of grilling devices should only ever be used outdoors. They do create carbon monoxide. If they're used indoors, they can create a problem that way. So they must be used outdoors. Another issue with propane grills, especially when you're starting them for the first time in a year, or if you haven't used it in a while, um, oftentimes insects or other, other creatures will build nests in some of the areas of those grills and they can cause gas to leak out where it's not expected. So one of the best things that we always tell people is prior to using it, um, create a uh, soap and water solution and spray it on all the fittings on the grill as you are trying to light it so you can see if, if it continues to bubble. That can show that there may be gas leaking. And that could create a problem, and that needs to be repaired before you use it.
0: Grills on decks are okay, but in some homes, I'm thinking like row homes that were, are older, the the porch is kind of built into the home. Correct. I'm yeah. guessing that's probably not safe to have a grill there.
1: Yeah, there's there's been many, many problems with gas grills on, for example, like a three-story multifamily home. And if you have a, a balcony out the back... Um, what my best advice would be, always check with your local fire marshal because they may have very specific ordinances on what is allowed and what is not allowed on an exterior deck, uh, especially in a multifamily home. In a single family home, we have less regulation, but again, the, any, any grill should be kept a, a good distance away from the exterior of the home just to prevent any potential of fire spread. How about campfires
0: and those fire pits that some folks have in their backyards?
1: The best thing again is to because individual communities have different regulations, um, some some have very specific ordinance saying there is no outdoor burning allowed. So the best thing to do is to contact your fire department or your local fire marshal and find out what is acceptable in your community. And if it is acceptable, what we always tell people is make sure you burn dry, and seasoned wood only. Uh, don't use accelerants when you're starting your fire. Um, those small little chimneys that people like to have. And it's, it's a great atmosphere to sit around in a summer night. However, um, they're not designed for these gigantic blazes. And so you just have to use a lot of common sense when you're using something like that.
0: You noted the less than perfect conditions in terms of the the rainfall amounts we've had Mm -hmm. so that also raises the issue of discarding smoking materials oh absolutely. careful about that
1: yeah absolutely Um, smoking uh, and most people are not smoking in their homes anymore most people do prefer to smoke outside or um, if there's no smoking allowed in the home or, or in the building people always smoke outside and that's one of the things that we see and and we've seen it just recently in the news where, um, and it's a huge problem in um, mulch beds. The, as, as it gets dry, um, people discard a cigarette or any other smoking material outside and it drops in a mulch bed and it creates a fire. And we've seen, I remember, um, I used to work in the town of Southington and uh, we would see some pretty large mulch fires and they're exposing cars and parking lots and, and other areas of buildings just because that area is so close. So um, when it is dry, always put out your smoking materials completely and dispose of them in the proper receptacle. I know we've just started summer, but as we enter
0: the fall and the leaves come to the ground, years and years ago, people
1: would rake them up and burn them in some cases. Is that ever acceptable these days? No, there's um, um, the state forest fire regulations do not allow burning of leaves though most communities nowadays either collect them as part of their public works or in other communities, you can actually bring them to a location and they will mulch them and create compost for them. So, so your community actually helps you to create basically free fertilizer for your gardens and and other things. So if you do follow those regulations in your own community, The leaves actually can serve a real good purpose. what's what most people would use them for in the the past anyway.
0: Firefighting is a tough job under the best of conditions. But when you're talking about fighting a, a forest fire in rough terrain, that can really pose a challenge. And people need to keep that in mind when they're, you know, Starting a campfire, maybe at a campground, or discarding smoking materials in the forest, right?
1: Absolutely, um, it's a huge problem, and we see we see fires out out west that are gigantic. And fortunately, we don't have the same environmental conditions here in the state of Connecticut. However, we've seen hundreds of acres burning in our state at various times. And there's always one or two periods of the year that are so severely dry, they typically would, uh, the meteorologists call them red flag days. Those are really, really important to hear about. When it is extremely dry or very dry conditions, just avoid burning outdoors at all times. You have to be incredibly careful with anything that that is being disposed of outside because those fires can start very, very small and they can spread very, very rapidly.
0: When it's not a red flag day and say you're you're camping and you have a fire, what's the best advice in terms of making sure that fire is out before you vacate the area? Well,
1: the, the fire, the, the coals from the fire can hold their heat for well over 24 hours in some cases. So the best thing to do is when you are finished with using the fire, spread out the ashes in the fire pit so that there's not a lot of uh, fuel still in contact with each other, and that will help the ashes to cool faster. Or, of course, you can always uh, keep a, a water supply on, on hand and pour some water over the coals, and that will douse them and prevent any coals from maintaining their heat and it potentially starting a fire later. You
0: are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Alan Zygmunt. He is the public education coordinator for the Connecticut Fire Academy in Windsor Locks. That's where this show is coming to you from this Sunday morning. Moving on to general house fire safety, there has been a push recently in some quarters to require new home construction to include sprinklers. Tell us about that and what's behind it.
1: Well, it's it's an incredibly important life safety feature. Um, and uh, a home sprinkler is proven to be about 90% effective at preventing, not preventing fires, but causing fire, minimizing the fire spread, and almost in every case, saving lives of the occupants. So it's an incredibly important feature, and if people are building new homes, the concept is that if, if legislation was passed that would require them, we could actually see a massive decrease in fire loss in this country. And there's some communities elsewhere in the in the nation that have done this for a long, long period of time, and they've already seen statistically a huge decrease in fire deaths and fire property loss from that. However, there's a lot of there's a lot of pushback on that sort of legislation, so it's still being discussed. Though, as a fire service professional. Um, the value of a home fire sprinkler system inside your home cannot be underestimated it will save lives in every case i gather a lot of
0: the pushback has to do with the the cost of of adding this feature into new
1: construction absolutely um that's what most people look at and it will it increase costs of of new construction yes it will however the costs are not anywhere near what is usually talked about you're talking about in the cost of a of a typical home just a few thousand dollars of added cost for your family's life safety to me that that means a lot and it's definitely worth every penny and most fire fatalities i would gather occur
0: in residences absolutely
1: about 75 to 80 percent of all fires in this country especially fatal fires they all happen in single-family homes where most people think about uh, you go to a movie theater or a stadium or even a large apartment building, all of those have fire code regulations and almost all of those buildings are already sprinklered. The reason we don't see a lot of fire deaths there is because those sprinklers are combating the fire immediately when the fire starts. And that's the the benefit of a sprinkler. The sprinklers go off only in the direct vicinity of the fire because they're activated only by heat and only the number of sprinklers that are required to go off go off so they immediately confine and extinguish the fire and prevent the fire from going anywhere else
0: i would also think that in commercial buildings we we are there during the day and we're not sleeping there as we do in our homes and and that's another factor
1: yeah absolutely um we, we sprinkler our schools, we sprinkler our hospitals, and some of those areas, um, obviously hospitals, would have some people that are sleeping at times. But again, you don't hear about large loss of life in those sorts of buildings. So the, the key is if we have sprinklers inside buildings, um, especially our single family homes that are generally made out of wood and other combustible materials, they are definitely gonna save our lives
0: talk about the importance of smoke detectors and co detectors in a home how often should those be checked or changed and batteries replaced things like that
1: well we should be checking all of the detectors or or alarms in our home at least monthly just to make sure that everything's working obviously they they should chirp and let us know that the batteries are are getting low and then we should immediately change them if they do that however they might be in a remote area we might not hear them so the key is to check them monthly and then also on the back of all smoke detectors and carbon monoxide detectors there is a date of manufacture, and every uh, CO and smoke alarm should be changed after about ten years because they do deteriorate over time. And uh, it's a small again for thirty or forty dollars of multi- putting multiple smoke detectors in your home, one on each level, one outside every sleeping area, or in each sleeping area, just to notify. Um, the occupants of a potential problem somewhere in the home is incredibly important. And the state of Connecticut Fire Code actually has already included that in even single family homes where they require some degree of smoke detection in those homes. So it's there already and most of those smoke alarms are what we call interconnected. So even if you have smoke alarms in the basement that are sensing something, you on the second floor in your bedroom your smoke detector will go off to warn you of the potential problem.
0: Safe to say smoke detectors are probably the, the number one safety device for, for residences and protecting them from fire?
1: Absolutely. In today's world, yes, absolutely. They are very well, um, the, everyone knows about them. However, we still see um, a lot of the fatal fires that we do see um, unfortunately, the smoke detectors were not working. So that's why we, we, we continue to talk about smoke detectors and, and carbon monoxide detectors because they are the, the first line of defense in every fire situation. Should I also have a, a fire extinguisher
0: or two in my house?
1: Absolutely. Fire extinguishers are excellent. Um, two real important points about fire extinguishers. If you have a fire extinguisher in your house, know how to use it. Um, They are relatively simple to use. We usually use the acronym PASS, P-A-S-S, which stands for pull the pin, aim at the base of the flames, squeeze the handles, and sweep side to side. But there are classes that are often offered by fire departments or other areas. Um, We offer some here for industry at the fire academy, for example, where um, people can be trained in using fire extinguishers. It's a very valuable skill to have. The other thing, the other point that I'd like to make about extinguishers, if you put one in your home, make sure you can get at it. If you put it like under your kitchen sink and it's way in the back because you never use it, if you have a stovetop fire and you start looking around to grab it, it needs to be in an accessible location where you could get to it quickly and it's, you don't have to pass a fire to get to it.
0: Also, it seems over the years, I recall a number of stories in the news about someone trying to put out a fire on their own before calling for help. Yes. When do you make that decision to call 911 instead of pulling out the fire extinguisher on your own?
1: Even in every smoke or fire extinguisher class that I've ever been involved in, that is still your first and best choice. 911 is always your first option in every case. Even if you say this is a small fire, and I know I can put it out with an extinguisher, that's fine. Call 911 and then get the extinguisher. And even if you do put it out, does that mean the fire department shouldn't come? No, they should, because they will have other materials and equipment to check to make sure the fire hasn't spread in places you can't see. And also, if there there ends up being any sort of insurance claim because of that, the fire department needs to be there to document that the fire did happen. So calling 911 is always the best first option.
0: We're here at the Connecticut Fire Academy. Do all firefighters in Connecticut go through
1: this facility? Pretty much, um, one of our, our major missions is to provide training and education for all firefighters in the state of Connecticut. And we organize most of all the firefighter training Not necessarily at this location, but through this location.
0: There are regional schools as well? Correct,
1: yes. There are several regional schools throughout the state that that run. The programs are the same, but they run them in their local areas to make it more convenient for people to, to get to those places.
0: There's a continuing education element as well. It's not as if you graduate from the academy and then never come back here again.
1: No, most, most, uh, most firefighters will tell you that um, when you stop learning about being a firefighter, you should retire. And, and that's true. I mean, I'm, I've retired from the town of Southington um, after 30 years. However, I still take classes to this day because there's always something more to know and there's always something more to learn. And firefighting is like that. As, as, we, as technology changes and, and as buildings change, we need to stay on top of that at all times. And there's always, there's always additional courses being offered and created to keep us in the most current state. There's
0: a split between professional fire departments where the members are paid and mm-hmm. volunteer firefighters yep. or fire departments in Connecticut. And volunteer departments really need members, don't they?
1: Absolutely, about 70% of all firefighters in, in the state of Connecticut are volunteers. And volunteers, uh, volunteer departments are almost always re- recruiting for manpower. So if, you're, if you know whether your town has a, has a volunteer fire service or even if you don't, contact the fire department if you are interested because they are always in need of help. And um, in today's society, it's becoming very, very difficult for people to give up their time like they used to. Um, and that's why volunteer departments are always looking for more people. So, if you're interested in in being a fire fighter and helping your community, um, the the benefits for the community are are obvious for fire safety and and public safety. But much more than that, it helps to keep budgets low and helps to uh, prevent um, excessive costs of government. So it A volunteer fire service is is very beneficial, especially in a small community. So look at that, and uh, if you're interested, join up and be a volunteer. Is the training often provided at no cost? Yes, in almost every case. Um, As once you join, they will will send you to school, they will send you to all the training, as well as the training that they perform in-house. Roughly, how long does it take
0: to be trained as a firefighter in Connecticut?
1: it, it varies. I mean, the, the basic classes that we have, there's, there's several certification classes that require testing at the end, uh, firefighter one and firefighter two. Those, they, they're several hundred, they're hundred hours, 160 or 180 hours or so for each class. However, um, a lot of departments will allow members to take up to a year to get those done. So they can go on weekends or at night, when it's more convenient for people who work five days a week.
0: He is Alan Zygmunt, the Public Education Coordinator at the Connecticut Fire Academy in Windsor Locks. Thanks so much for joining us this morning.
1: Thank you for having me, and uh, stay fire safe. Thanks for listening to Face
0: Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio.